I now will choose jobs only based on the level in which they terrify me. Right. So it's like, if I'm not slightly terrified, <laughs> you know, and if I feel, cause it's like, it's otherwise like, why? I want to be over my head, you know, to a certain extent. What's up? I'm Tyler Sweat. Cue the dramatic music. This is All Quiet on the Second Front, a podcast where boring conversations around defense tech and national security come to die. Ready to get weird and learn some cool shit about emerging tech and the government? I thought so. Let's fucking go. This is a Soul Fire production. All right, what's up, everybody? I'm your host, Tyler Sweat. Welcome to another episode of All Quiet on the Second Front, the podcast where boring government talk comes to die. Uh, really excited today. Is everything, Ar- is everything quiet? That's Ar- the interesting yeah, right. question. Are already, already laughing here. Uh, super excited about today's guest. Uh, I think everybody probably knows who Alexis is. Um, some will not, so we'll get there. Troublemaker extraordinaire. Right? A really interesting journey, you know, in the government, in commercial. And I think it interesting places in each, mm-hmm. right? It wasn't a... Hey, straight, just DOD to defense tech, to back to DOD to defense tech. It's actually been some places where like, you've had the opportunity to look at under-resourced innovation requirements, the need to be able to scale limited capabilities and to think about like real tangible ROI. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I'd love open up a little bit. Again, thanks for joining, but sort of give the give who the, the, who the, give heck the journey. Is this yeah. person, right? who, are you? Yeah, you know, it's interesting. I think one of the coolest things about careers is often that you just have, you have no idea what's coming, right? And and if you looked at my career, um, you know, I actually started way back when in the 90s, I was a third employee of the Internet Trade Association. And so Tyler, literally my job was to go into places like American Express and be like, this thing, the internet is going to change how you do business, right? That's like literally my first gig in my 20s. And and what was funny, of course, at the time is they like initially kind of laughed you out. Like, oh, we think that's a fad. We think this whole digital thing is just a trend. Um, of course, only to be invited back later to be like, well, tell us more about this internet thing. It seems like it's not going away, right? And so I think what's interesting in looking at my career, so from there, you know, uh, got to do some kind of a lot of work with companies that were going from bricks to clicks at the time, right? That whole transition um, and a weird turn of events got headhunted into the UN and mainly specialized in war zones. So I was in theater in Iraq, Afghanistan, uh, Somalia, Yemen, all of the fun spots. Um, ended up then going to USAID, so went to federal government. Uh, with federal, I think one of the interesting elements was now was one of the first telework executives in government. And I I promise this all leads to one really clear realization. Um, Got to help co-found the Innovation Lab at USAID and just shout out to that team who's done amazing work. And I think that agency is really a great example also of of what leaning in can look like and the speed. Uh, Then got to spend about three years at Google. And now, you know, the rumor mill is probably on point. People, uh, I think, are now aware that I will be joining DOD officially. So I'm excited about that. But all of that to say, what I realize, um, you know, none of all of that seems very disjointed, right? What does any of that have to do with each other, uh, the different roles? And what I realize now is what my jam is, what I love is actually helping organizations, uh, people, you know, and, and initiatives be ready for change, 
right? So from that very first time of, you know, going to American Express and being like, this thing, the internet, I feel like, you know, 30 years later, it's like, I'm still like this thing, the internet or this thing, AI or this thing. I was say, you replace the internet with cloud yeah. now. And that's exactly. Yeah, this thing cloud, like, hey, this so thing APIs, your server. right? Yeah. But, but I think the beauty of, of what I recognize and what I love is that this is a journey about people. This is a journey about culture, right? The tech keeps changing. It's really how do you make people permeable, you know, to, to what's coming next. It's a really interesting concept, sort of permeability of human capital, especially as you look in government, where I think a lot of the assumptions are, oh, it's no permeability. Yeah. It's structured, yeah. it's strict, it's super hierarchical. Talk a little bit about sort of that USAID, because I think that's when we started to become yeah. friends is you guys were run the innovation lab. You had that, like, yeah. mar I'm going to get the term wrong. You had that little market <laughs> you guys had built. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, it was like really transformative. Yeah. So, I mean, I think one of the interesting things, right, is that, you know, government can be a total pain in the ass, like quite, quite frankly, but it's also filled with people who often really, really care. Right. And so, you know, for me, my career has just been amazing because I've managed to find those people that care, that coalition of the willing. And so there were like a few things at, at USAID, I think that we did that, you know, we're really, um, really ahead of their time, right? So one of them was a program called Development Innovation Ventures. And again, shout out to that team that is, this is still a program that exists. It's still amazing. Um, and what was interesting about it is, you know, most innovation at the time was directed, right? It was like, we need to solve this thing and we'd use a challenge or a prize. Um, but what Div did is Div actually said, look, we're open to any idea from anyone anywhere at any time. And then in essence, kind of matched a VC funding stage style approach to it. And what I really appreciated about that is if you think about it, what, what an amazing kind of signal of humility to say, you know what, sometimes we may, we, there may be things that we're not even smart enough to be looking for, right? And to kind of give that, op, you know, that optionality for those ideas to come into play. And one great example that I love is, you know, there was a, something called psychometric, psychometric credit scoring, meaning, you know, people, especially in Africa and Asia and places where there's a lot of financial vulnerability, they didn't have, you know, the ability to access credit because they didn't have collateral, right? And so this idea of, well, how can you actually give someone access to money without the type of security, you know, collateral or, or risk mitigation? And so, you know, this entity had this idea that, well, you know what, we actually think we can give, you know, someone kind of a personality test to decide whether they're credit worthy. And you can imagine for me, right, the idea of going to Congress and being like, don't worry, we're going to give them a Cosmo quiz. And if they pass, you know, we're going to lend them money. Um, but interestingly enough, they had great evidence. And that's one of the keys, right, with innovation is really to be equally, uh, have an equal appetite for evidence. And they had some great evidence that they brought to the table. And so, and so we said, you know what, this is interesting because if it does work, if we take that little risk and it does work, it unlocks, you know, incredible opportunity. And so not only, you know, did it work, um, but it was actually purchased and, you know, kind of went into process. It had a huge amount of influence on how Visa, MasterCard and others actually started to address credit, you know, um, in places like Africa. But most importantly, no one was looking for that, right? And that, that idea of saying, how in government can we you know, there's definitely things we are looking for, right? There's things we want to move to a program of record, but how can we also position ourselves to be permeable for that thing we're just not ready for yet? Because innovation is about timing more oh, than yeah. it's about anything else. Oh yeah. And I think one, 
the the sort of what aren't we looking for send it in right i always enjoy i think the commercial equivalent to that is like if you don't see a job posting on this on this board that fits you and you think there's one you should be yep. pitch us yep. i love that approach well and it's funny actually that you said that i'm sure you you've had the same experience where everyone, you know, because I, I get to do cool stuff and everyone's like, well, how did, how did you get to do that? What was that job? And I was like, well, no, I got into an organization that I wanted to learn that I thought was cool. And then I, I kind of made the job. Yeah. Right? I always tell people, I'm like, a title doesn't matter. Don't give yeah. me a title at first because it's going to lock me into something. Like yeah. I will, at some point I will tell you this yeah. is the title I need. Yeah. Um, but to your point, I'm going to get in, roll sleeves up, figure out what the heck's going on, how to drive some value, yeah. and then go that way. Yeah. Well, I think also, you know, when you when you can go into that, um, really caring about the mission, but understanding that it will be faster if you can think to yourself, you know, as I work with other people, as I try to be permeable, as I want to, you know, find synergy with other groups and other organizations, you know, I really ask myself with every person that I'm interacting with, like, how do I make their lives easier and how do I make them look good? And, and that was just, you know, something about kind of how I ticked, you know, kind of Midwest values of, of my family, kind of this idea of servant leadership, if you will. But it actually is amazing in its effect because what it does is people really want you in the room, right? Oh, yeah. When they know that they can trust that they are going to come out better and that you want them to come out better, yeah. right? And I think that giving away the win mentality and in innovation has been a big difference between, I think, those groups that, um, you know, may have may have gained steam quickly, but petered out, right? Because they didn't have yep. that type of connective tissue with others. Well, I think it's a way, um, one, it's a way to sort of just be disarming and sort of, you know, increase adoption. Like there's a little bit of change management magic in there. Um, also, if you're thinking about sustained innovation outcome, like it becomes tribal. Yeah. Yeah. It's a way to build and reinforce tribes. So that that leads to a great question, which I, I don't I don't know. If I feel like this is going to be a stinger. I okay. don't know if there's an answer to. Yeah. Um, but so you think about going back into government. Yeah. Right. This unnamed Death Star yeah. organization. Uh, you talk about the criticality of timing. Mm -hmm. You talk about the criticality of being open and accepting things. Juxtapose that with folks who are incentivized by maintenance of a program of record, yeah. by maintenance of no waves ever hitting the boat. And like the the even threat of any deviation yeah. causes shrieks from the ivory tower. Yeah. And yeah. so the answer to everything is no, or talk to this one vendor that controls everything. Yeah, I mean, I mean this is really the, the quintessential moment we find ourselves in, right? This is the tension. Um, and, and quite frankly, I'd start by saying, you know, I now will choose jobs only based on the level in which they terrify me, right? So it's like, if I'm not slightly terrified, <laughs> you know, and if I feel, cause it's like, it's otherwise like, why, right? Like yeah. I could go, I could go do really comfortable things, but like, I want to work with like super smart people, amazing mission, but I want to be over my head, you know, to yeah. a certain extent, because I think if, if you're not, I mean, the, the beauty of the gift that being terrified gives you is it gives you a sense of humility and allows you to go in in a more permeable mental state, right? And so to your point, you know, I think one of the things I learned over the last three years at Google, it was such an interesting job because it was really like a, like a seat at the 50 yard line view of watching just, you know, 
government, public sector, DOD, everyone kind of come to grips with what the last three years, COVID, you know, this rapid rate of change has done. Um, and so in many ways, it was a real lesson in the shifting of leadership. And, you know, there were a couple of things that I took out of that. Um, I really felt like what I saw when you, when you looked at leaders that were doing um, a really effective digital transformation, um, you know, versus those that are maybe kind of just adapting for the moment and would likely snap back. What I saw was kind of this new mentality, right? I call it like living system leadership, right? So what I saw were these living system leaders who recognized a few things, you know, and this is this is what I hope to take in to this, you know, into this role. I think the first was um, a recognition that, you know, a lot of people don't realize what's happened in compressing the change paradigm. And what I mean by that is, you know, Prior to COVID, the average change horizon was about five to 15 years in government, right? So like by the time, you know, policy, a process, kind of a budget approach, a program, you know, different technology, a platform, there was usually a five to 15 year kind of evolution, right? And then, and then the new thing would come out. That, that just died during COVID, right? I mean, that time horizon compressed down to about six months to 1.2 years. So if everyone else out there, like I felt like, holy shit, things just keep changing so fast and I can't keep up. There's a reason for that. It's because it did, right? And so I think that's the first moment as a leader where it's like, well, what does it mean to be a leader in a time where my job is to just now constantly navigate change, right? Like my values actually have to shift. Uh, I have to be more concerned about interoperability, portability, you know, those types of things than I was before, or I'm just not going to be ready. So that was kind of factor one. The second one that I think I really want to bring in, and I think gets to your idea of, of you know, what one confronts when they go into any type of, of big system or, or bureaucracy, is in that same period of time, you know, think about it as a public servant, more than anything, I'm expected to make good decisions, informed decisions, you know, evidence-driven decisions. How do I do that? Having the best information possible, right? We're, we're finding ourselves in this information age, and if you think about it, the amount of information that I would be expected to have to make a decision in, you know, in my role in USAID only, you know, only five, seven years ago was fractional compared to what it is now, right? And, and think about that again as a pressure on a leader. Well, how am I making sure that I get the right information at the right time? And, you know, where this brought to me again and kind of thinking at this living system leadership idea was the fact that there, there's a major cultural issue with that. And what that is, to your point before, is that people in essence have always, we've always thought about platforms and information and things like that as kingdoms, right? Or systems, right? There's a system of record. There's a system of this. And actually... We have an opportunity now to think about the fact that it's it's actually, instead of me being a system owner or kind of a kingdom owner, like what if I was an information champion, right? What if I was judged not by how many people are using this system or how much budget I have on it or any of that? What if I was judged by the value of the information that came out, right? Like an actual outcome. Like an actual outcome. Yeah, it'd be Crazy. awesome. Right? But, but if you think about it, the biggest threat to this is, is identity, right? Because what it requires for me as a leader to go like, you know what? It doesn't matter what system I'm using. It doesn't matter, you know, what platform, what technology, what matters is, am I getting the best information, you know, to the moment of the decision that, that it requires? And why I say that's an issue of identity is if you think about it, 
you know, to your point, what I saw in a lot of my different teams before is people would come in and, and they'd, they'd be working on a system or they'd be working on a capability, really, and they, it would be a Salesforce, right? And so they would start to think of themselves as, as someone, why well, I, I run, you know, Salesforce program. And the reality is that's actually a really limiting mindset, right? If they thought about themselves and they said, you know, actually, I am someone who provides these critical insights by using this information and unlocking it. Well, gosh, I can be relevant to a whole lot of things, right? But this question of how we have framed people's own sense of value people's own sense of their of their relevancy means that we're we're already stopping them from bringing their very best right so when i look at going in when i look at hopefully contributing to this idea of living system leadership i actually believe starting with identity and like telling that person you may work on this system now but let me tell you what i value you for like i value you because you're going to make sure that we get the right you know adversarial information at the right time and it's your job to figure out how to do that if that if that's in this system, great. If that's in a different system, I expect you to be hungry and be proactive to tell me how it can be done even better. You've just blown my mind. <laughs> um, no, that is one, that is an awesome approach to leadership. Uh, I think there is an individual sort of like unshackling yeah. that will occur. Yeah. But, you know, as I sit back, and I don't think that's just – you know, for everybody, like there are lessons in that for any organization, but think about the power of the organization. If you start to unshackle yeah. everybody yeah. from their own sort of mental limiter, mm -hmm. I'm like, no, I exist in this box to do this thing. And you're like, no, 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 you're bigger you're than on, that, like, dude. You're this you're, strategic you're value stream that. to yeah. like throw a bone to the consultants out there. Yeah. Um, and you think about as scenarios change, the sense of ownership yeah. of an ability to bring solutions mm -hmm. forward that you now have, you know, sort of set free. Yeah, yeah. It's unreal. And it reinforces, I think, the – right, so I was an Army guy, so the Army taught me everything I need to know about hierarchy. We won't hold that against right? you. Don't it's worry. It's the best I could do. <laughs> um, so I said people people always make fun of state schools. Like, oh, you went to a state school? I'm like, I went to a federal school. <laughs> <laughs> so much worse. Yeah, I got bed stripes. <laughs> yeah. But think about like span of control and like yeah. minimum viable, mm -hmm. minimum mm -hmm. viable sort of corporate governance, yeah. right? And you and I have talked about this a bunch. How do I get sort of like the least required, but sort of most locked in yeah. like that, whether it's a PM yeah. or it's a, a mid-level and where are you as a leader going to look and, mm -hmm. hey, these are my three or four sort of control points right. so that you can allow for permeability yeah. in both identity and honestly, like practical functional role. Yeah at that point. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I mean, I think that there's a couple of interesting things that makes me think about. I think the first is, you know, it's, I actually have realized I'm not a fan of the concept of transformation because it implies that there's an end point, so right? It's starting and, to stop in the middle, right? right? Yeah, yeah, it's not yeah. a story. Like, and and that, this is like my whole point of pointing out, like we're in, you know, living system leadership is constant change, right? And so like, you know, I really like this idea of capability, right? What is the right capability at the right moment? But I'll give you an example of, of where, um, you know, two individuals that I got to work with and, and where this comes home. So, you know, I was speaking with a particular general who was really frustrated about the fact that he wasn't getting the level of just, you know, like real-time insights, you know, that, that he wanted. And he was really frustrated with his chief data officer. And so I said, okay, um, you know, 
can you give me the job description of your chief data officer? And he was like, I don't see what that has to do with anything. I was like, just indulge me, indulge me, sir. And, you know, brought it out and I said, okay, I gave him, you know, a red pen. I said, can you go through this job description and can you, you know, put in red, circle anything that has to do with uh, kind of control and security and, and in essence, fear, right? Like, you know, like fear and control and, um, you know, so they did that. Uh, and then, you know, I said, can you take this other pen and highlight anything that has to do with like insights and dynamic, you know, capabilities and, you know, kind of new information and these things that you're really frustrated you're not getting. And he did that. And, you know, Tyler, it wouldn't surprise you that at the end, if you looked at the piece of paper, it was 90% red, yeah. right? It's 90% red. And so I said, you know, sir, you, you just have to look at this to say, there's things you can say you want, but then there's who you tell someone to be, right? And who they are and what you value. And these things are incongruent, when right? It's the, it's the you are, I think this is what a lot of people forget. It's almost Pavlovian because not only have I, do I tell them sort of who they are, you are assessed against KPIs that are in that job description, Yep. yep. right? So like you, I can look at someone and be like, well, you're not doing what I want. Someone will be like, yes, you pay me to not do that thing. Like now you're talking about my right. livelihood. Right. And what you're getting to too, and, and this whole thing is incentives. Yeah. Right. I mean, my biggest lesson learned is constantly asking myself, you know, what, whether it's a policy, and I mean, this is I think the big tension between like security versus compliance, right? Because, <laughs> you know, I think most people out there will know that they are not the same thing, right? But but, you know, one of them. Not as many as you would like. No, they're not the same thing. <laughs> well, okay. They're not the same thing. That's, that's Alexis's, you know, uh, maybe Alexis's bold statement. You know, but I do think this idea of how, what are we telling people risk is, right? What are we incentivizing? What does this policy do versus that policy? And, you know, a lot of times we, we just don't understand and we do all of these things that are quite good, but then we don't align the incentives, right? And so part of what I'm really thinking about when, you know, when I get to go back in is, is what are the incentives, you know, that really have to align with us and not just for, you know, for my people or, you know, for, for, you know, the people that I serve and the units that I serve, but, but also for the vendors, yep. right. For the partners, for the lawmakers, like what are the incentives? And I think for me that accepting the idea of, all right, if we're in a state of constant change, if we're in a state of just information being so critical and so key, I've got to think about those things as critical value drivers, right? Yes. Of the incentives that I create. Yeah. And I think you, you teased at it right there, but there's an aspect of, you know, creation and establishment. And then there's like a supporting yeah. or enabling function of like education and awareness and communication mm -hmm. and reinforcement. Cause just doing it, Right, it's a tree falling in a forest. Yep. People are going to be like, great, it's another leader making another change. Yep. Actually getting that behavioral change to stick, that's when you start to get into like a really interesting kind of framework approach. Oh, well, and it was funny. I was with uh, another another force a couple weeks ago, and we were specifically talking about innovation culture and innovation strategy. And one of the things that I pointed out to them is that the way that government approaches, so there's three factors that you drive like the stickiness of change with, right? The, the, it's feeling, thinking, and doing. Um, we are really good at, at assuming that by changing the doing, it will stick. And we don't spend any time on the thinking, and we certainly don't spend any time on the feeling. And the most interesting thing is that you know, so for me, when I do an as-is and a to-be model, you know, with different stakeholders or different capabilities, 
you know, you start with a really realistic acceptance of, all right, what are people doing right now versus what I want them to be doing? Um, but what are they thinking right now? Like, what is the logic, yeah. you know, that they're applying? And most importantly, what are they feeling? Because that feeling question gets you to be honest and gets them to be honest about their current state of identity versus who they can be. It allows you to understand how to give them wins too. Exactly. Right? A win exactly. isn't always like some political or rational thing in yeah. the workspace. Like there will be multiple times where that win is that emotional, oh. like just raw human just level. Pride. Yeah. Like, it, like, like pride, um, you know, yeah. is powerful. And, and I think especially when you're talking about government, when you're talking about, you know, defense, you know, these are, these are purpose-driven roles, right? And and for any of us in any organization, we can get caught up in just the grind, yep. right? And just giving, really being intentional of that moment of connecting, you know, someone's sense of identity, of purpose, I mean, that was the pride. rise of game. I think it's actually what got us together the first time. <laughs> I was doing a bunch of research on like gamification <laughs> yeah, and behavior yeah, change yeah. by like simple emotional wins. Yeah, absolutely. Like, Go talk to Alexis. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I mean, I think that this is, I'll give you another example that was a, that I really like messed up. I made some wrong assumptions about. Um, and that was, you know, when we, I was creating, you know, one of the first federal innovation labs with my colleagues, what I, what we assumed was that the business of expeditionary innovation, um, was the same as what I would call like service, you know, innovation and, you know, expeditionary being kind of more revolutionary disruption service being more evolutionary. Um, but what was really critical is the first thing is, expeditionary innovation, the customer of that is the future state of the organization, right? And that really requires a, this, you know, senior level support. Um, but on the service side or the evolutionary, the customer of that is the day-to-day, -day, right? Is, is kind of what's in it for me right now, those programs, et cetera. So I highlight that because those are two very different businesses, but more importantly, the people in them right? The talent, the way it's led, the way you would budget, the incentives are dramatically different. And so as an example, you know, we saw on our expeditionary, uh, you know, innovation, those were people who were willing to get out there, take big risks, you know, but they weren't necessarily good at then translating or getting buy-in, right? Or selling. And they didn't have the credibility and the relationships, right? To they see might that, have not even cared about it. Right. They didn't might, matter they, that, that, quite frankly, that doesn't they even register. Right? And you see that a lot, even on the academic side as well. Well, I'm doing our research. I'm doing this because we, we need to know these things, but I have no intent to transfer them. Yeah. Right. And so, you know, the reason I highlight that is because I started to realize as we were doing this, that not only was the talent different on each side, but the incentive, right? And the way someone wanted to feel on the service side, right? That service leadership of being a purpose of the mission was very different than that person who wanted to feel like they were busting through, creating, you know, and contributing to kind of the newest way of doing something. They're different states of mind, right? And I think in, in, in government and innovation, we often conflate them and think that they're the same, you know, same thing or that, that all innovation is the same. And I think for me, that was a really great, eye-opening moment, right? Around like, oh wait, oh well, people are different, Tyler. Did you know that? Did you know people are different? Like they need different things? It's funny, it's funny to have sort of that reminder, right? I think you open your computer and it's, you know, the fucking robots are taking over and generative AI is here to, you know, have our children for us and blah, blah, blah. <laughs> and it's still like strip away all the bullshit. Yeah. Like it's still, this is all just people. Yeah, and, and we, feelings play a huge part in that. Absolutely. Well, and generative AI is a is a great example, right? I mean, 
this is the moment right now, which will come as no surprise to you, or I'm sure anyone else who's joining us, that this is what everyone wants to know about and why. First of all, why? Because all of a sudden we can play with it, right? All of a sudden it's human and accessible on, in a way that wasn't before. But one of the things that I find, and you know, I've, I've been doing a lot of kind of generative AI trainings for people, and I always step back in these types of emerging technology trainings, and I always step back with giving people a personal anchoring. And what I mean by that is, you know, like you said, a lot of people are worried, you know, is this going to take my job? What is this going to do? You know, am I, are we going to need coders in, in 10 years? Or are we going to need, you know, a communications writer? Um, and the answer is yes. We may need them to be different. And so the question is, where where is your identity in that difference? And so one of the things I highlighted for myself, because, you know, we ask ourselves these questions, you know, is Alexa still relevant? Like, probably not, right? Tyler would be like, no, but, you know, we'll, we'll keep people fooled until now. Um, Say, don't tell them our yeah, secret. Yeah, don't, don't tell them our secret. I'm just pretending until someone exactly. realizes I'm <laughs> Yeah, I'm, I'm just faking yeah. it, right? Imposter syndrome 101. Um, but what I realized for myself is that, what generative AI really did was changed, it was an opportunity to change my relationship with knowledge. And what I mean by that is up until this point, I took a lot of pride and a lot of identity in, in, the, in creation, right? I would write something from scratch and it was kind of my product and I would create this and, you know, I may do research, but it was, it was the creation that I thought gave me value. And I think what I realized, you know, with generative AI is that, you know what, exercising my expertise, exercising, you know, kind of my discretion, all of these years of experience is equally valuable in curation as it is in creation. And so what I came to accept is that, wow, I might have an opportunity to be spending, you know, maybe a higher percentage of my time, you know, applying that experience in curating, um, which doesn't take away from that experience, right? Or from that identity, it just allows me to to have that different relationship with knowledge. And, and quite frankly, allows me to bring in and be permeable. We talked about permeability to a lot more ideas, a lot yep. more things and kind of start at a more advanced place. But I think someone has to go on that journey to where they really say, what is this technology in relation to my identity, right? What does it mean? And that's what unlocks that person to go from being, I'm the, you know, I'm the Azure you know, guy to, well, who do I want to be in a year? It's the importance. I think it's a, almost a call to arms for leaders to recognize that, you know, the role of a leader is different depending on where you are sort of in some story arc. Yep. And yep. it's probably a bad way to explain it because there's a beginning and an end there too, but like on a journey yeah. that at some points you're sort of the Sherpa. Yeah. And at some point, you know, you'll actually be the person leading the way and say, no, go left, no, yep. go right. At some point, you'll just be following. Yep. And at some point, you might not even be on the channel. And at some point, quite frankly, you're going to get bored. Yeah. Because like you've either done what you can do, right? Or you've done a great job of, of bringing amazing talent up behind you that have recognized all these kind of Gen 1, Gen 2, Gen 3 of their own identity. And it's like, they got this now, yeah. right? And so like, that's where, you know, that idea of like, of am job. I terrified, it's my right? Goal. Like if I'm no longer as terrified as I was, like, it's okay, time to do something you know, else. Time to do something else. Yep. Yeah. I'm the exact same way. <laughs> um, awesome. So this has been killer. I have one final question, Ooh. right? I have these handlers and they beat it into me that okay. I have to put some structure in here. Okay. Um, so I already know you're doing a bunch of fun stuff in your personal mm -hmm. life. So I'm curious to see what the answer is. So I always ask sort of yeah. when, when the job is done, mm -hmm. right? When you're like, I've done enough. I'm going to go sail off into the sunset, you know, yep. ride the wagon trail, take the Oregon Trail West. What does that sort of look like? I always tell you, you and I have talked about mm -hmm. this, right? I talk about sort of 
being on a river, trying on the side of a mountain, right in my head, it's Tennessee. It could be wherever. <laughs> Big outdoor kitchen, yeah. dogs and kids and grandkids yeah. running around, just hanging out, cooking yeah. for everybody. What's that look like for you? So for me, um, the way I want to die is I want to be, uh, you know. took a really dark turn. took a really dark turn. Well, you know me. You know me. No, the the way I want to die is I want to be sitting, uh, you know, I want to be sitting in West Virginia at our quarry, um, having created a place where just smart people can get together to be just the most and have the most curious conversations, right? And I want to be sitting at the edge of the table, kind of like we are right now, with like a great glass of wine and, you know, and someone say something and be like, I'm done, right? But 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 really continue to contribute to like that convening. And I think quite frankly, I'm, a, I'm addicted to learning. I'm yeah. addicted to curiosity. And so if I can spend, you know, my time making a space that empowers other people to just be curious and bring themselves, like I'd be like, mic drop. It's an awesome answer, and it also sets the stage perfectly in my head <laughs> for then us transitioning to your Viking funeral on the exactly. lake. Oh, and me yeah, just firing the arrow. For sure, for sure. I'm, I'm hoping that I have, like, so many special forces friends at that point that, like, when I go, the rain of flaming arrows will, like, be, you know, be alert the fire The gods department. will smile yeah, as you make your way up. absolutely. Yeah. Alexis, this was awesome, buddy. So Thank much, you so much friend. for spending time. Excited to see what you're... Uh, when we do the reveal, what's yeah. coming next. Awesome. So thanks for tuning in, everybody. Wow, look at you. You made it to the end. Thanks for listening. Hope you learned something. Don't forget to leave a passive-aggressive review. It wouldn't be a podcast without some show notes. So check them out to learn more about me, Second Front. Stay weird. <laughs>